0: Welcome to the Conic Blueprint, where we talk about topics in the recruiting and staffing industry with the end goal to help improve people's lives. I'm Jen Fitzky with my co-host, Tom Gettle.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Conic, a technical recruiting company focusing on architecture, engineering, and manufacturing positions in the Midwest. Find out more at ConicNetwork.com.
0: Most people do things because that's the way they've always done them, but not Kirby Snead and members of the Manufacturers Alliance. For the past 15 years, Kirby has been guiding over 500 members to help them develop better leaders and problem solvers so they can help their companies remain competitive. Kirby is not only president of the Manufacturers Alliance, he's also a great member of the manufacturing community and brings people together to learn, support, and lift up everyone around him in this spirit we're looking forward to learning from him and sharing his information with all of us today thank you for joining us kirby
2: thanks for having me jen
1: yeah it's great great to have you here kirby it's been been great getting to know you over the years and we certainly love being involved in support the manufacturers alliance and everything you're you're doing you're doing you're doing great work and and making a, a big impact on the community so to add to jen thank you thank you so much
2: Thank you, Tom. Feelings mutual.
1: Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the Manufacturers Alliance and how how does the organization help companies?
2: Yeah. Well, Jen, you hit the nail on the head when you touched on the intro there. Like the biggest challenge that we see the manufacturing industry face is doing things the way that they've always been done. You know, and you hear it, I'm sure, time and time again. Unfortunately, you might be talking to someone asking, well, why do you do something a certain way? And you'll hear something to the effect of, well, Because that's the way we've always done it. So every time we hear that, we know that we can help. And that's really why we offer manufacturing-specific training education. And are really laser-focused on creating a critical mass of better leaders and better problem solvers in the industry. Because we know, like, I mean, everyone just knows, if you're working on getting better, by default, you're not doing things the way they've always been done. Right. And so that is the single best way for a manufacturing company to be able to sustain their competitive advantage and avoid the complacency that can come with just doing things the way that they've always been done. So, you know, if you want to learn how your peers are improving, you want to develop the skills required to be able to lead teams, develop cohesive teams, and really implement improvements, never feel stuck, overcome all these setbacks that you're going to face throughout that process, because I kind of said a mouthful there, that's why you would want to become a member of the Manufacturer's Alliance.
1: Great, great, awesome. Could you share a little bit about your background, Kirby, and and how you uh, came to the Manufacturer's Alliance?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would love to. So, my basically my background my history i guess really starts with the fact that you know my my grandfather worked in manufacturing my father worked in manufacturing and so my my father was that engineer turned general manager whereas my grandfather he worked kind of in the same company same industry same role kind of did the same thing the same way for a long time and so he worked in a barrel factory manufacturing for you know 35 plus years and was primarily in the kind of janitorial or eventually the more of the kind of support, technical support roles, right? And so when I compare and contrast the two roles, I looked at my father, he made a really big impact. A lot of people invested in him. He took initiative, invested in himself. And, you know, like I said, you know, went from kind of that aeronautical industrial engineer to general manager, president, multiple companies within minneapolis St. Paul and, and made a really big impact Versus my grandfather, he was kind of that grumpy, curmudgeon guy. Like, you would talk to him, and, you know, I love my grandpa, but <laughs> watch out, right? You, uh, you might get a handful. So, <laughs> like, I mean, I can't help but obviously compare and contrast the two. So, grandpa, you know, doing the same thing the same way didn't have that big of an impact. Even though I love him, obviously, my grandpa, whereas my dad was able to reach so many people. And so when the opportunity came up to be a part of the Alliance and then eventually lead the Alliance, initially I jumped and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be a part of something that's going to help people be able to have an impact just like, you know, my dad was able to have an impact and be able to be a part of that investment and that development in other people so that, you know, they could essentially become better leaders, better problem solvers themselves to be able to, of course, provide for themselves, provide for their teams and make sure that their organizations really thrive. And, and that part's really exciting for me because, I mean, I know for a fact, I've experienced it myself, when internal transformations happen, that's when those external transformations really take hold. So, like, what I mean by that is that, you know, an internal transformation of really how someone views them themselves internally, like, naturally, like, like gravitating towards, hey, I am becoming a better supervisor or a better divisional director versus just kind of stuck doing the same thing the same way. When you have that identity change and you view yourself as someone that's always getting better, that's when, of course, your mindset changes, though, I can overcome any obstacle that's going to be you know thrown at me. And then that's, of course when the action follows. and that's when the results come, those external results. So the internal transformation always precedes the external transformation. And one person can make a very large uh, impact on a company culture because of the trickle-down effect. And you'll start to see those results of improved flow, better quality, less scrap, less rework, and uh, less frustration, happier customers. I've just seen it so many times. I know for a fact, like, those internal transformations are so impactful. So, of course, I thought, hey, when the opportunity presented itself, of course, I'm going to jump at that to be a part of that.
1: Great. Great. Yeah, I love the way that you illustrated the internal transformations. Pretty, pretty powerful way to, to think through what um, a lot of manufacturers lines helps, helps with, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, so many people think about, hey, I want that external transformation, right? There's those dark, dirty, dangerous factories that are out there, and they want them to be bright, clean, happy, smiling, you know, engaged workforce. But what some people don't realize is all the work going on behind the scenes, investing in so many people for all those internal transformations to take place first.
0: So, Kirby, one of the things that we've been kind of talking about and thinking about here is how do manufacturers and the companies, how are they competing with the gig economy and that extremely flexible work schedule that gig employees can have?
2: Yeah, I think the problem with the gig economy is that you never know where your next gig is going to come from. And when a gig shows up, you're like, oh, great, I'm going to take it, you know, and you might become desperate to take any gig. And so what becomes, you know, that potential upside of flexible work, there's that downside of, well, I don't have that consistent, meaningful work. So I really think that's the problem with the gig economy, or that's the weakness that the gig economy presents. And so I think it's wise for manufacturers to exploit that problem by saying hey we can really offer consistent meaningful work and you can you can deliver that through great frontline leadership within your company. So I think consistent meaningful work really is about the ability for, you know, individuals a part of a team to be able to act on the improvement ideas that they have that come to mind and to be able to see those improvements lead to positive outcomes. I think that's the that's those are the two best countermeasures and that's the best way I think to be able to kind of overcome that potential concern of, hey, you know, we got to compete with the potential upside here in, in economy. The other thing too, is to be able to really execute that through great frontline leadership. So I want to like share a couple examples of each. One of them comes from a member company, Innovise. So Innovise, great, arguably small manufacturer uh, in St. Paul and you know, they're not just a rotary converter a die cutter or laser former. or they make high precision critical wound care products that help people that have been severely burned or have cancer live better lives. Right. So they, they have the opportunity to be able to provide meaningful work, sustainable, meaningful work, and they can really put people first within their company culture, even over profits, which, of course, can, you know, hurt a company in the back pocket, but you know it's a core value when you're willing to stand up for it, even when it's going to hurt you a little bit in your back pocket. So I think that's a big part of it. I think the other big part of it is to be able to really, then, like I said, with continuous improvement, being able to teach people how to be able to make improvements and Innovize does it by implementing hundreds of these quick wins and dozens of these A3 improvement projects. And the way they see it is that they're teaching people how to fish and so they've essentially got a lot of lines in the water and they got a lot of bait on the hook and they know sometimes you're going to catch a big fish sometimes to catch a small one. And frankly, it doesn't matter. As long as you're fishing, that's what really counts. And you recognize everything that's been caught, the small ones and the big ones. So you're going to be able to put, compete with that gig economy by saying, okay, Hey, you don't have to worry about where your next gig is going to come from and we know that you can be uh, engaged in the work and provide meaningful work then the other aspect of it is that uh, flexible work schedule that is really attractive the thing of it is though is if you've got great frontline leaders at your company they're going to really know intimately the needs and the wants of every person on their team really well so they're going to know their strengths their weaknesses their communication styles their work styles They're going to know how to deescalate conflict. They're going to be great communicators. They're going to know how to overcome resistance to change. There's a lot that great frontline leaders have to do because essentially they've got to maximize the performance of their team, right? And so in order to do that really, really well, you've got to be able to know everybody on your team to be able to say, okay, what can we do to meet their needs and wants? So for example, great frontline leaders, like if somebody on their team was in a car accident, they're gonna know that that person is gonna need several trips to a doctor, a chiropractor, et cetera. And so they should know and really be ready to do everything they can to go beyond reasonable accommodations. They gotta go beyond those reasonable accommodations. And they really gotta say, okay, how can I put together a plan to help this individual so that they can go to those appointments that they need to go to? And it really just starts with saying, Hey, let's, you know, let's sit down one-on-one. How can I help? Let's put together a plan. Let's delegate some work. Let's cross train some others. And let's find temporary or contract help to be able to, you know, close any gaps that are open up as a result of providing that flexible work schedule. So I think those are the two biggest countermeasures you can put in place to be able to really overcome any of the potential concerns that the gig economy and the potential flexible work schedules that they present can be overcome by manufacturers. I'm really confident in it just because I've seen it so many times within the Alliance.
0: I love that. So, okay. So I've been thinking about the next thing a lot because we work, obviously we're placing candidates who are leaving companies, but companies and then other companies are coming to us and they said, we need problem solvers. We need problem solvers. Of course you do. So how are you advising companies to attract those problem solvers or retain that, team that they already have you've addressed a couple things yeah. here. so what else can they do and how can they bring other people in
2: yeah so to go deeper with the attraction of problem solvers specifically you really got to again like know how you compete and the hr pros would tell us that the big companies it's evp work so employee value proposition lots of leaders know you got to have a value proposition for your customers the exact same is true for your employees the tough part is, is that you can't just peanut butter it around and say, yeah, well, we're going to compete on this and that's how we'll attract you know a dozen or you know 200 people. You got to be in there with some laser precision and really know how you're going to compete at every level, executive, managerial, team leadership, and those individual contributors and team members. But it can be done. I mean, I was at three companies alone this week where they said, we're hiring over a dozen people a day and we're bringing them in left and right. And we've got our, our pick of the litter, so to speak. So even just yesterday, I sat down with a president plant manager and they said they're right in the middle of the process of going from 20 people to 200 people and they know how they're going to compete and they're winning right now. They know how they're going to win in the market for talent because they're, they said, well, we're going to attract a workforce that has, con- throughout the years, has been working outside. Like they like the work, but they don't necessarily like the work conditions. So they said, what can we do to overcome those work conditions that aren't necessarily the best and they said let's pop up another not everyone's going to be able to do this they were popping up another quarter million square foot facility so maybe that isn't duplicatable by everyone but the point is is they said these people like the work they just don't want to do it outside so let's have them do it inside so it's not like blazing hot where they're working let's put up some big fans and you know some ac units in here so they can still do the work that they're doing just in a better work environment. So that was a big part of how they're gonna be able to attract so many people. You know, and the other part that's interesting to me is how so many manufacturers are attracting from the fast food and retail industry into manufacturing. So to be able to identify some of the shortcomings that those industries have or suffer from and responding to it accordingly. The biggest one I've seen is that they don't have benefits that include educational programming. And so you can easily put in funding for professional development. That's going to attract people out of that industry into yours.
1: Great. Yeah. I love, I love your, your thoughts on competing with the the gig economy. And I think it all, it all kind of interlays into to Jen's uh, second question there. I, I, I think people are, they're looking for purposeful work. They're looking for meaning in the gig economy allows for some of that, but I think, to your points, Kirby is that meaningful work and, and that purposeful work when you can do it with a team and with an organization that has a a bigger mission and a and a why that resonates with the employee to be able to communicate that to the candidate and what what is the Innovise what what is their impact on the world? We know that they're a, a medical device manufacturer. They they help that world. How how for example how is Innovise making an impact on the local community, the Midwest community and, and the world and, and people who, you know, are driving Uber for two or three hours at a time, that has really good benefits and it's a great, great way to to earn a living, but to be able to to be a part of something that really resonates with the professional, I think that that goes a long way as well.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's so key to be able to say, what can we do to be able to want people to come to work, be a part of our culture, be a part of our team and, you know, physically produce goods that uh, we all use and and need every single day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I'd love to get your thoughts a little bit on uh, education and two year degrees and four year degrees and really the the requirements that most, uh, many companies have for certain types of positions. It's, we, um, you, Jen and I were talking about this earlier today. It's it's critical in so many positions to have that two-year degree, the advanced engineering degrees, all that to perform the work that's required to do. In the meantime, what's happening is college enrollments are continuing to go down as the, the price of that education is is increasing over time. And it, it, it feels like over time, there's less and less value put on that four-year degree to the... To the younger folks who are listening, and, and and in the meantime, as you know, the demand for degree professionals is not is increasing exponentially. Are you seeing manufacturers adjusting to that with in-house skilled training to really bring maybe someone with, say, a two-year background to be able to perform work that a four-year degree person might might perform? Do you have any insight around that?
2: Yeah, in terms of what's the trend, uh, do we all need to have master's or a PhD or the four-year or the two-year? I I think the short answer there is no. You know, what's interesting to me is that, and I guess I could say this as someone that has three degrees, the master's, bachelor's, and a two-year tech, I think we could save a lot of time and a lot of money by completing certificate programs. You know, and there's also, there's a lot of fluff in a master's or in a bachelor's there's a lot of overlap and even nowadays there's a there's a there's just a lot of political agenda I, I cringe every time I think about it because there's a lot of you know the political agenda from government programs that's made its way into higher education and I think we could avoid all of it frankly and I think the fact that you can learn technical skills and really master technical skills doesn't require six years I think you can You can develop engineering skills at the IEQE, ME level in, you know, you can have a really good foundation and and foothold in six to nine months with learning and applying what you're doing. Any operator, in my professional opinion, can turn into kind of that entry-level engineer with the right support. Any uh, frontline leader and high potential leader on your team can transition into that next best supervisor team lead with the right amount of support and certificate programs to do it. Whether it is, you know, those MOOCs, those massive online communities where you can get the exact same education, you just don't have to pay for it, or you find associations like the Alliance to be able to give you the opportunity to learn from people that have in there, done that, and in most cases are still doing it. I mean, naturally, I'm biased here. Our supervision fundamentals program does that, and our lean practitioner and green belt certifications will help individuals do just that. It's not to say that the other programs aren't relevant. Sure, we still need research to be done. It's just that we don't need as many people nowadays to be participating and learning how to do the research that the universities are known for doing. We need more people engaged in meaningful work, making meaningful products to meet the demand consumers throughout the United States. is just screaming at all of us right now.
1: Yeah, that's all great. What would you say, let's say there's a new high school graduate, they're graduating in there, they want to go into an engineering and manufacturing career, but they are they, they pause when they think about four four years. Yeah. And you know, 200000 dollars in in debt. Yeah. And there's yeah, the economy's great now, but you know, fast forward four years, we I'm I'm very optimistic that it'll even better but you don't know you don't know until you get there so there's that pause like okay i'm gonna spend four years and then you know Kirby, you can't guarantee me that i'm gonna have this great job you know and we won't know what the salary is going to be until the offer comes right what would, what would you say to that person just for, from different angles like like you know, yes this this is the upside of it or okay but what would be a middle ground then would be maybe more more palatable for that person
2: yeah, six figures. That is a bitter pill to swallow for someone uh, just getting out of high school. I mean, to cough up 90, 100, 150,000, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't advise that uh, they do it. Those kids shouldn't be getting credit cards. They shouldn't be taking out bank loans, and they shouldn't be spending that much money to go to school, in my professional opinion. They should be able to find a job, find a, a good job, and make uh, 40, 50, even 60,000, as an operator, they could dip their toe in the water. They can highly likely find a company that's going to pay for some of that professional development, whether it is through formal tuition reimbursement or paying for that certificate program like the ones I mentioned before. And they can still learn and earn as they go. there, there is uh, There is no reason in my mind why you wouldn't want to do that if you're seriously mechanically inclined. And especially if you like, you know, there's those that have the affinity towards people versus things. If you have that natural affinity towards things, how things work, like to be able to study work for the sake of work and improve processes, you can find meaningful work in manufacturing the Midwest right now and make 40, 50, 60 right now, as well as tap into the benefits to be able to pay for advanced training. You could start with a certificate program, have that be applied towards a two year if you wanted to work your way up, but don't start at the top and spend 150 right now and take out the loans for it. I just, I can't reason that way. Not not even one iota.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot to take. You know, Dunwoody, I know does a really good job with training employees, getting them a one year certificate, maybe even like a welding certificate. They get that and then they maybe start in that profession and then continue with Dunwoody and then Obtain their two year degree and then continue working and then get eventually get their the four the, the bachelor's degree, the stackable education. And that that seems to be working really well for them. That people have a strong interest in the field and just short attention span. Like four years is a long time to go to, right. to go to school. When they wanna they wanna they wanna start working with their hands quickly. Uh right. great on ramp too.
2: Yeah, and what if you change your mind? You know, I mean, I changed my mind a few times, and uh, I can say who's someone who spent the money. I'm still paying for it. <laughs> like I want other people to avoid some of that because that is, you know, literally weight or debt on your shoulders that, you know, can weigh you down literally.
0: So I have a question. So I, I, I know the Manufacturers Alliance. You guys do such great training, and I'm wondering. Do you see certain trends in the training that people are coming you coming to you to ask for? And if so, what's, what's on top of people's mind right now? What, what's a lot of the training that the Manufacturers Alliance is doing right now?
2: You know, it's, it's really centered on two core competencies, on uh, leadership and problem solving. And the scales are tipping. There's, there's more of a demand for great leadership, in part due to you know a lot of concerns around uh, retention and turnover rates being higher than what most manufacturers would like and the cost of turnover. So the leadership training is in high demand, both at that frontline level, like I was talking about either or before, and then also at that advanced level, more strategic leaders, leaders that are able to quickly take a look at their their environment, their culture, understand how they compete in the market, understand how they compete for talent and how they can win to be able to overcome some of those massive problems like You know, we've all seen in the headlines manufacturers, you know, coming up short on baby formula or everything else in the supply chain or fertilizer, you name it. So the strategic leadership, frontline supervision, and then I would say followed up by those problem solving skills. Really big. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay. Kirby, thank you so much. We, I've got some silly questions for you, kind of a lightning round. All right. To do with anything that we've talked about.
2: Ready? I'm, I'm game. I, I'm glad I'm uh, flexible because I think a lot of the engineers in the Alliance would say they don't have time for silly questions, oh. but I'm game. So let's do it.
0: Well, thanks for everything. First of all, that you've already gone over. I know our audience ate it all up. They're probably taking notes and go back and mm. uh, talk to who they need to talk to, to make the changes they need to make. I've actually, I've got a client in mind that I'm going to go back to and be like, okay, you're struggling in these areas. I just had this great conversation can I tell you what I've learned and maybe you can maybe you can implement
2: it. But I love that. Right. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So what are your favorite Minnesota summertime hobbies?
2: It's going on right now, landscaping. So <laughs> I mean, if I can even just get outside over the lunch hour, I'm I'm game. So you know, anything from uh, trees, shrubs, bushes, flowers. I guess the trees, though. There's these beautiful white pines that I like planting. They're so picturesque, you know, especially in the winter when they've got, like, a nice uh, yeah. bunch of snow on them. But, but landscaping and, and being outside is definitely a big hobby for me.
0: Okay, cool. Who's your favorite author?
2: Oh, I, right now I'm kind of tied between uh, – Building a Story Brand, uh, Donald Miller, and then I would say Atomic Habits. Who was that one? James Clear. Donald Miller, really good. He, he took a page out of the Lean Six Sigma playbook and wrote what would I, I would consider an A3 you know for communication so that people have a framework to become better communicators. So really good there. But then Atomic Habits is really good too. A lot about change and instituting change and uh, making it sustainable. So both are great. I'm saying it's a tie. I'm
0: writing those both down. Okay. Well, oh, underrated or overrated? Gen Z.
2: Oh, underrated for sure. They've got so much potential, untapped potential. We need to wring out as much value out of that generation as absolutely possible. <laughs>
0: Perfect. <laughs> I know these are supposed to be lightning round and there's not supposed to be follow-up questions, but the recruiter in me is dying right now. I absolutely <laughs> overrated or underrated linkedin
2: i like i like linkedin i'm a big fan of linkedin i would say underrated i see a lot of potential there for people to establish connections tap into communities and have that then lead to something else i think you know the potential there is is great awesome especially for live shows come on yeah yeah thanks for
0: playing
2: (laughs) thanks jen that was fun
1: yeah, that was great. It's a great conversation with the Kirby. uh love having you on. Before we wrap up, how can the audience get in touch with you?
2: So, the best way to get in touch with me is to jump on our website, mfral.com. They can learn a little bit more about us and reach out to me right from there. Or if they want to sample one of the member benefits by participating even in a peer group. They will see me in operations, HR, or continuous improvement peer group. So I'd love to connect with them at a peer group meeting as my guest.
1: Thanks for being with us, Kirby. Yeah. I definitely appreciate everybody tuning in and definitely uh, keep in touch uh, with us here on LinkedIn and uh, find us on comicnetwork.com. And look forward to seeing you next month for another live.
2: Thank Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jen. Great to be with you guys. Keep up the good work. Thank Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining this episode of the Conic Blueprint, brought to you by Conic, a recruiting company focused on architecture, engineering, and manufacturing in the Midwest. Find out more at conicnetwork.com and follow us on LinkedIn. Also, follow this podcast for the latest episodes. We're excited to hear your thoughts, so please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time on the Conic Blueprint Podcast.